Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 157 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. I'm Gary, and I got my partner in crime, my tap-out specialist, Byron Jabara, with me. How are you, Byron? Doing great, Gary. I'm an expert in tapping out. I've been doing that for many years and uh, getting getting better at it, you know, Gary? Yeah, I think uh, I probably do have a, a black belt in uh, tapping out. Probably pretty <laughs> good at that. That's th- Today we have a uh, interview with Peter Daniel, Jiu-Jitsu Medic. And he's got a, a website, jujitsumedic.wordpress.com. Check it out. Uh, one of the big things, I don't think we even mentioned in an interview, but uh, tapping out before you get you know, injured Hurt. is a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a great idea. And, you know, sometimes you can't. Sometimes it happens during a scramble or whatever. But you can definitely lessen your chances if you uh, check your ego at home, uh, you know, tap out quick. And, you know, hopefully uh, the more time you're on the mat, the more time you're going to get or the better you're going to get. The more time you can train, you're going to get better. If you're if you're hurt all the time, um, you're not going to be on the mat as much. You may have won a tournament because you didn't tap, but your arms are destroyed and you won't be able to train for a long time. But, you know, tapping is not bad. Tapping Gary, a lot of times will save you. Yes. I got a, uh, a, a new person tip. Here, a new person. Yeah, we got. Well, it happens. I only see new people doing it, and typically, uh, you know, talking with a new person, getting on the mat with them, and just trying to uh, introduce them to the game and the sport, the martial art. Uh, when I when I tap them out, it's a lot of times it's a real soft tap with the fingers, uh, and, and they're just like got me, you know, like just kind of tapping me gently, and I, I stop them and <laughs> say, okay, uh, I felt you tapping me, but that's not how you want to tap out. You want to make a deliberate, uh, like smacking against my body somewhere, not on the mat, unless you can't, and if he is on the mat, you say tap as well, you have to verbal, you know, you want to be as safe as you can. Say this, me feeling you gently touch my leg as, I, as I'm uh, cranking on your shoulder or your arm or whatever, it is not the kind of safety mechanism you want to do. You want me to for sure feel you tapping so I can let go immediately. You don't want to put it into me not, you know, having that adrenaline rush to where I don't feel it. Uh, so uh, if you're if you're fairly new, this is common for people, uh, you know, with, with very, very, I mean, usually in the first couple of rolls, they figure out, I need to tap harder. Uh, this is getting kind of crazy. But uh, tap to where they know it. You're, you're not, you're not, you know, like, Admitting anything other than, hey, I want to be safe. You know, that's the main thing. You, you got to tap in a fashion that uh, communicates that you're done. I don't know how flexible your shoulder is or anything like that. So uh, when you're done, make it deliberate. You could say tap as well, but tap on the person, tap on them uh, fairly hard, and uh, keep yourself safe. And I see yeah. that a lot with new people. They kind of don't want to do that. They don't want to tap very hard. Yeah, that is a good tip. I, I really didn't think about that, but you are right. A lot of times you do get that soft tap and... You know, I think about sometimes where somebody's got a really tight arm bar with me and all of a sudden uh, my grip breaks. The minute my grip breaks, I'm tapping and I'm tap, 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 you know, really loud. And, um, you know, hey, there's there's no shame in it. I know I'm done. And, um, you know, I was thinking of uh, I was rolling the other day and somebody had a really tight high mount, tight high S mount on me and uh, had my leg or my arm, you know, basically trapped. And basically as soon as my grip broke, 
the guy didn't even have his grip yet. You know, he's going to go for a kind of like a Kimura armbar. And, uh, you know, I tapped already. Uh, it's like, I'm not getting out of this. You broke my grip, which is my last line of defense. I know I'm done. I'm just going to tap. It ain't worth, uh, you know, it ain't worth it. I'm not getting out. Yeah. So, um, nothing wrong against tapping. Just, uh, you definitely want to be safe, but make sure your partner knows, uh, make sure the, the referee knows and, uh, tap, tap hard, tap loud. Um, you know, sometimes like Byron said, you don't have any arms, both your arms are caught. Um, you know, the worst is when your arms are caught and like the guy's torso is over your mouth and you can't even breathe and you're trying to tap with your leg. But, um, uh, you gotta find you gotta find some appendage to tap with. <laughs> oh, it's it, tapping is a safety mechanism that lets us do this for more than a week. That's yeah. I mean that's yep. really all it is. I don't know who had Gary in that mount. I, I guarantee you, it wasn't this guy. It wasn't me. I don't end up there with Gary. But uh, yeah, tap before you get injured. Uh, <laughs> we got uh, with the interview. We've got a lot of great topics to cover: uh, cauliflower ear, skin infections, and yeah, basically stuff you're going to run into the mat. Those are, I mean, skin infections. You see that all the time. Cauliflower ear. You're, that's a big topic in your gym. So uh, stuff we're going to run into, and uh, Peter Daniel is definitely going to help us out with that. Yeah. Um, so you def- definitely don't want to miss this show, and you don't want to miss any shows. So the best way to not miss a show is get onto our email list. I mean, I know we say this every week, but uh, uh, check out the uh, link on the show notes to our email list, and uh, we will send you out a link each and every week. We've never missed a week um, for the show. There we go. It's good to good to have people uh, join us over the email, and all the links will be there easy for you. Uh, Gary, another thing we're doing here is we are collecting submissions – not your typical armbar submission, but a submission. Oh, I was just getting ready to tap, <laughs> tap, tap, tap. Uh, for Coach of the Year. Uh, if you believe that you have a great coach and you would like to share that with the Jiu-Jitsu community, write up a little essay, send it to bjjbrick at gmail.com, put in the subject line Coach of the Year, and we will uh, collect these together and create a little panel of people to read them and to vote on them. We're looking for somebody who's just a great person in the community. Uh, any way your coach has kind of gone above and beyond a typical coaching role and helped you out or helped out your team or something that really stands out. It doesn't, I mean, the coach doesn't need to be uh, the coach for a, you know, a bunch of world champions, a normal person, normal gym, and uh, <laughs> and just a great story of somebody who is a great person in our community that we'd like to honor by the end of the year. So uh, we're looking for Coach of the Year. If you think it might be yours, if you love your coach and want to help out the gym, maybe this would be a little bit of great uh, publicity that they could talk about. Uh, send in your uh, essay to bjbrick at gmail.com. Put in Coach of the Year as a subject line. Yep. Hey, speaking of Coach of the Year, um, we always ask for reviews, you know, on uh, on uh, Stitcher or iTunes. Definitely put a review in there. But we also, uh, last year we started uh, the funniest review of the year, and Nathan Hadley won that. So basically, if you send a review there, too, we're going to, uh, uh, at the end of the year, me and Byron will look and see what one we think is the funniest, and uh, we'll have our second annual funniest one of the year. But the reason I bring that out is we did have a review from Stitcher. Uh, from Sir Laugh-A-Lot 26. I assume he's 26 years old. The title is uh, of his review is I'm Addicted to the BJJ Brick Podcast. He says, I love this podcast. I work graveyards, and I've been listening basically nonstop for about a month now, ever since I discovered it. I shared it with my new friends. I shared it with my new friends I'm making in BJJ. It's endlessly entertaining, and there's great information from people who, who wish to improve their game. They interview world champions, 
Olympians, and inspirational people of all levels in their BJJ journeys. I've had such a good time listening that I've downloaded iTunes just to put in a review, and I haven't used iTunes ever since my iPad iPod was sent back to me in warranty stating that it was customer-induced damage. <laughs> <laughs> he must have been rolling and uh, rolled over his iPod there, um, which I have to agree with. I beat the poop out of this thing. <laughs> but still, I mean, if they had sent me a refurbished replacement, then it's likely that I would use several more Apple products in the future. But I chose to go with the discontinued Zune, Microsoft version, version of the iPad, later in life. I want to make this funny, but I think trying to be funny is hard for people who try too hard to. So <laughs> that he one totally, will definitely make it in there. He totally went like totally off topic and started talking about his experience with customer it's service true. with uh, Apple yeah. and all this stuff. But uh, it's awesome. I mean, I like that. And, uh, and you know, the cool thing is that's a great uh, um, for the Zune. That's a great um, uh <laughs> Uh, advertisement so uh, <laughs> you know he turned it into a couple different things wow very very amazing yeah. I, i'm reading this I'm like oh that's a nice review and he starts talking about the word team like what in the world is he and it goes on and on and half the reviews about his experience with their customer service and fill it in if you want to write a funny review uh for the podcast do it on stitcher or itunes wherever you listen to your uh podcast and uh send us an email about that so we actually see it this happened a little while ago we missed it um, but uh, send us an email at com and let us know you wrote a funny review. We'll put you in the uh, queue for funniest review of the year. And uh, we're glad to have this one here added to the list. So this is uh, this is good stuff, my friend. Yep. Hey, I'd also like to give out give a shout out to our to our Patreon supporters, uh, Alexander, Greggy, Sean, and Rob. Uh, these guys are big supporters of the BJJ Brick Podcast. I mean, we couldn't do uh, keep the show rolling as uh, like we do every, each and every week without those guys. So, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate it. Yep. And it's easy to become a Patreon supporter if you like to help out the show. Check out the links in the show notes. And I also, uh, it's I work graveyards. I've been listening for uh, nonstop about a month now. Uh, pretty spooky working a graveyard uh, yeah, near Halloween here, Gary. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if uh, the good thing though he trains jujitsu, so maybe that works on ghosts. There you go. I yeah, would, and I we would, did talk about that last week. Yeah, I would think there'd be something you could do, but ghosts are pretty transparent and uh, just hard to get a hold of. Well, you imagine once you do get a hold of them, how hard your pressure's got to be. So I guarantee you, Sir Laugh a Lot Twenty Six has great, great pressure from side control. That's true. Something that's not hard to get a hold of would be our audio book, Your First Year in BJJ, where I'm going to talk to you for about two and a half hours and walk you through all the stuff you might encounter your first year and really help you get through that time and uh, help you get on to uh, future success on the mats. But you really have to get past that first week, first month, first year in order to get this really incorporated as a part of your life. So if you are in that first year and you want to uh, latch on and, and uh, get the most out of that, I hope this audiobook helps out. It's eleven ninety nine, and the proceeds go to help out the show. Gary, I've got a quote from a little bit of a different source. I was just searching quotes and health and that sort of thing, kind of looking at our, uh, you know, have the jiu-jitsu medic here today, and, and I found a quote by uh, Joyce Meyer. Uh, Joyce says, I believe the greatest gift you can give your family in the world is a healthy you. And uh, that that's an interesting thing to say. Uh, I'm reminded of like the uh, 
in the, you're in the airplane, you know, and you know they lose pressure, and you're gonna run out of you know oxygen in the air because it's too thin, and the mask drop down, and they say put your mask on first, and then you can help somebody else with theirs, including your loved one that you you know care more about than yourself. But you first gotta take care of yourself so you could do that, you know. So uh, you have to be healthy. A healthy you lets you do things for other people. So uh, just how important that health is, and how much I know in jujitsu it seems like sometimes it doesn't promote health you know all banged up and stuff like that but really if you do it correctly and you take our advice on tapping and and training smart uh jusu i know for me has made me a lot healthier yeah you know it's kind of funny we talk about jujitsu and health but don't you think like jujitsu and wrestler guys and mma guys probably the toughest guys in the world you know, I hear all the time, it's like, yeah, I just dislocated four ribs, but uh, I'm just going to sit out this round and I'll be back next round. Yeah, I tore my ACL. I'm going to take a week off and then I'll be back next week. Um, you know, my neck's messed up. I can't even lift my neck. You know, I have to look straight down, but I'm going to keep rolling. We got some uh, <laughs> some of the toughest guys in the world in this sport. Yeah, that's true. But I'm not, I know, and you're the same as me, Gary. I'm not advocating that. We're advocating not getting hurt. (laughs) But we do get to see, uh, bear witness to plenty of people doing things that are just amazing and having to get to their toughness. But really, I I always think if if I can't train tomorrow the way I train today because of an injury, I'm I'm not training very, very smart. So, uh, you know, you got to get back on the mat tomorrow or as soon as you can. You don't want your injuries to limit that. So, uh, you know, be a healthy version of you. And then off the mat, you could do whatever you want. If if I'm reminded also of times when you, when you're sick, you know, you get the flu or whatever, you don't want to give out. it to your teammates. Yep. It, and you don't want to give it to your teammates. That's true. Yep. Stay home. Yep. This is flu season, Gary. So uh, if, if you're sick and feeling uh, like you probably should be on the mat, you probably should stay home and then give it a day or two afterwards even to get rid of that uh, stage where you can still give it to other people and not even have it. So Yeah. Yep. And then also, uh, you know, eating well, you know, rest, all that, you know, goes into the health of you. So it's a lifestyle. And uh, jujitsu is part of that. There's your, your exercise and your mind, you know, clearing out your mind. Good for the mind and the body. There you go. Good for it all, Gary. Hey, uh, we got an awesome article, kind of a different article this week. Um, it's from a guy named Eric Beyer, B-E-Y-E-R. And, you know, it, we're talking about journals, and we know we've talked about journals before. But, um, you know, he's got a, got an article. It's called uh, Journal Your Training and Journey uh, from October 3rd, and it's uh, ericbeyer.com. He's got his own uh, website there, own journal. But, um, you know, the great thing about this one is he's talking about a product. And, and he gets nothing from this product. Um, the product's called Evernote. And, um, you know, he's talking about how he uses it for journaling. And, you know, a lot of people just um, who journal just use a, a pad and a paper. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but what I like is this is what I saw. If you look over to the, uh, the right of the article, Eric talks about him and talks about himself. And, you know, he talks about how he's a VP of sales for a company. Um, he says he keeps his plate full with web design products. He does Boy Scouts with his sons, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's got to spend quality time with his wife. And then on the side, oh, I own a glue company. And then he says, I offer website hosting, design, SEO, and marketing, a Google reseller for emails for businesses. And I'm sitting there thinking, man. And he talks about how he does uh, photography, too. And I'm like, man, how's this guy got time to train? He says he trains 
three mornings a week, plus tries to get in two days at night and does as well at jiu-jitsu as he does. And, you know, he talks about how he started uh, in January 2015 and just got his blue belt after winning the uh, the Dallas IBJJF Open. And, uh, you know, so it's not only that he does all that, he trains, and he's pretty darn good. Um, and I'm like, how the heck does he have time you know with all this in his life and and a lot of us run into that and see that's what i like about his article he talks about a a thing called evernote and i had never heard of it but byron actually uses it he he knew about it but what i like is he introduced me to a new app and something that makes your life easier you know just makes uh basically condenses everything makes it um you know, easier for you to keep the journal and, and for somebody who's, who's really busy. And, and that's kind of what I, what I got out of the article there. It's just, uh, uh, we're all going to be busy, but if there's a way to make my life simpler, to make it easier to keep a journal, I got a better chance of keeping it, which in turn is going to allow me to get a little bit better at jujitsu. Yeah. And so you mentioned a bit, a little bit about Eric. Uh, he, he's a fan of the show and he's also, uh, some of the tech support behind the show. Gary, all this wires and stuff coming out of my computer and software and things like that, it's a struggle sometimes for me to understand this. And, uh, you know, fairly recently, I, I had to send him a message. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, dude, so I'm confused. So <laughs> even it's just, it feels good to have Eric out there and he's, he'll, you know, at very, um, very quickly, he's like, yeah, here's, you know, let me, let me see if I can help you out. And uh, is, that's this a feeling of great support in, in the community that we have here with Eric and and he wrote this and I was like reading it and I have Evernote I like Evernote it's a it's an app that I use to keep track of things and uh, I need to start using it to journal so I downloaded Eric made a uh, kind of a, a template for uh, your journal and it starts off like it has a class you know gi or no gi and it has like a little checkbox you click on that so you, you download Evernote if you don't have it already although it's one of the most popular apps out there Gary I don't know why you don't have it but uh, so you download this this template well, and it, goes, it. it goes right in there and then it has like you know starts off with drills you know what kind of drills do you do techniques you know who you rolled with that sort of thing and it just allows you to keep track of kind of how class was that day and it really doesn't take more than a couple of minutes to fill this thing out so you could you could do it, you know, when you get home after your shower, don't forget the shower, or you could do it before you leave class, whatever. Just if you can make it a habit, you can kind of keep track. He knows how many classes he's attended and, 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 and he has like, you know, different tap out things that happened. Like it, I'd be interested to know if I get caught and I, I think I do get caught in Camorra's quite a bit more than chokes and, and that sort of thing. Uh, so I'd be interested to see like, oh, like usually when I tap, it's it's to a Kimura or, you know, usually when I get, uh, you know, if I get a submission, it's going to be this. I can probably figure that out pretty good myself, but because um, I'm only working on a couple of things. But uh, but it would be interesting to kind of see trends develop over time, kind of keep track of your training. And I, I know that keeping a journal like this also could be a motivating thing. You know, you don't want to have a whole week go by without a journal entry. So uh, I think that this is also a, a thing to look at for motivation. Yeah, and, you know, he, he talks about the couple of the benefits of it. And, and first of all, you asked, Gary, I don't know why you don't have it. And I'm not a tech guy. I'm <laughs> very 
far from being a tech guy. I'm clueless. So I actually need somebody to actually put this down and put a you know hyperlink for me, explain why it works to and dumb it down basically dumb it down for me. And but what I liked also is you know, he he did the uh, like you said, the um the, the BJJ template. You know, something that you know, it's probably easy to do, but I'm I'm not that intelligent and stuff like that. I, I need a shortcut. I need something like that. You know, he's basically held my hand and set that up for me. But then, you know, what I really liked about the benefits is versus the old school journal, you know, and by a journal and handwrite everything is, you know, I can access my notes, you know, on any device and computer. You know, also, most people have a smartphone. You can get a, you know, an app for your smartphone or, you know, let's say I'm visiting somewhere. And, you know, I'm not training. I'm on vacation. And, well, hopefully I train on vacation. But let's just say I, I don't. I can, you know, get on any computer. Just about any house or hotel can have a computer if I don't have my phone with me. And, I, you know, I can, you know, get on it via my web browser. So I can go back and check everything out. And But the other good thing is kind of like what you said. You, you, you do get to go back and, you know see what you're getting caught in more often like you know like you're sitting there thinking I get caught in in Kimura's more than doing chokes and you know it'd be kind of cool just to really see if that's true or not you know because you probably don't keep track of it right now Um, but if you did you could go back and at the end of the year say man I got caught in 67 Kimura's but only 7 chokes and uh, you know I just think that would help you work on your game you know make a goal you know a short-term or long-term goal for the you know next year yeah and the way this this template is yeah you, it wouldn't be very hard at all to customize this for me uh for he me has, it'd be hard <laughs> <laughs> really it, this whole thing is super easy it, it, go to his website on your on your phone he'll ha- he has a link to evernote that you could download it right there. And then he also has a, a link to his journal, which on my phone I opened it up with Evernote and I just saved it to a file. So it's, I mean, it was pretty quick and easy. Gary, I can help you out. But he's got a thing that says, you know, your roles. He wants, you know, if you want to document your roles, do that. If you don't, that's fine too. But you, you might just document how many times you roll or who it's with or whatever. But, you know, I would be curious in documenting, uh, you know, how many times I do a certain guard pass. You know, oh, yeah. and that sort of thing, and to see, you know, if I'm able to to guard pass on to do, pull this guard pass off on a purple belt uh, for a, a month or two, and then finally I get start getting browns and blacks, or I don't know. It just kind of need to track that over time, and you really can't do that. You just have a gut feeling unless you actually document it and look at the data, and uh, this is a, a great way to do that. So, um, yeah, I think this is a, a thing that more people, you know. To be honest, we're just lazy about our training. We want to go train. We want to have fun and enjoy yeah. it. But if you want to get serious about this, I mean, think if you were uh, a professional at this, there's no excuse to not document uh, how your training's going and what you're working on and and and, and just keep track of things. So it, it part of it's maybe motivation. Part of it, if you want to take this more seriously, this would be a good way to, to do that and to tell yourself that uh, this is a serious thing, you know. So uh, yeah. definitely look into it. Yeah. So like I said, I thought this was a little different article, but for me, I thought it was awesome and and I am going to download it and I'm going to, you know, download his uh, template there too and uh, go from there and uh, and I I I can also I can see how it's going to make me better. Yep. Gary, much like Eric is a tech support guy for me, I will go ahead and step up and if you can't install Evernote or this template, let me know. <laughs> and, uh, and I could do that cuz it is pretty easy. 
Yeah. But you know, the good thing is one of my good training partners um, that I train with a lot is a head of IT where I work at. Um, so I also have that guy there too. And also I'd like to give that guy a shout out. He uh, competed under the BJJ brick banner. Um, he doesn't really train anywhere. just trains with me on the side every now and then and uh, entered his first tournament. Actually even put the gi on and never, uh, Never uh, was training the key in his life. <laughs> he just put that on to get some extra matches. But uh, and actually finished uh, second uh, in the gi and uh, first no gi. So I'd like to give a shout out to to Blake there for uh, for his awesome performance. Yeah, Blake, that's awesome. It's amazing, and it's not surprised that uh, somebody who's training under Gary hasn't had a gi on, <laughs> but has yeah. the attitude that hey, I'll give it a shot. You know, it's a tournament. I'm yeah. already. I'm already here. Might as well throw the key on and uh, and roll. And you know, good fundamental, <clears throat> good fundamentals. You know, gi and no gi. A lot of it works the same. You know, obviously yeah. he's not doing a lot of tricky stuff with the lapel, but he doesn't need that. You know, he did very well. So proud of you, Blake, and uh, and thanks for being Gary's tech support guy. Yeah, and Blake, help me if I have trouble. Uh, <laughs> when you have trouble installing anything yeah when i have trouble help oh, me install evernote so see that's what i do I, I i create friends in stuff that i'm bad at and it's like hey i'll teach you a little jujitsu if you help me out when i have computer issues that uh, works great <laughs> that's a that's a good thing to do gary speaking of good things to do byron i think it's time to get on with our with our bjj medic interview he is the most interesting grappler in the world. He has had a short career as a pharmacist. He got fired because he was recommending jujitsu for 95% of his patients. His idea of a performance-enhancing drug is better technique. He has been tested for this, and the results were positive. Chuck Norris's wife has a tattoo of his face. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Peter Daniel to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Peter has a website called Jiu-Jitsu Medic. Um, it is at jujitsumedic.wordpress.com. Check it out. A lot of great information there, and, uh, and I'm happy to have him here talking about uh, jiu-jitsu and, and some medical uh, sides of, uh, of the mat. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hi. Thank you for having me. Uh, thanks for being on here. We've got uh, a couple of uh, topics we, we have written down. Uh, we're going to talk about cauliflower ear, uh, maybe some brain injuries and some skin infections. But first, uh, could you just introduce yourself to the audience a little bit for us? Okay. Uh, hi, everyone. So... Um, my name is Peter. I'm a third-year medical student, and I study at the National University of Singapore. Um, at the same time, I'm also an avid jiu-jitsu nerd. Uh, I'm a blue belt, and I train in a gym in Singapore called Impact Mixed Martial Arts. Peter, why did you uh, decide to take on learning jiu-jitsu while you're, you're in medical school? Well, I... I started jiu-jitsu before I was in medical school. Okay. Medical school. Um, I was uh, serving my compulsory mili- uh, military service in Singapore, and I, w- and I was uh, looking for a way to exercise and also learn how to defend myself. So I, I had heard about jiu-jitsu um, while watching like, the UFC and other MMA 
uh, events, and I was like, why not give it a shot? So that's how I got started, and I never looked back. Are there? I just, I'm just curious. Are there any uh, other medical students that you uh, that you train with there, or is it pretty much you go to medical school? That's one group, and then uh, you just do a completely different group of people. Yeah, it's completely different group of people. <laughs> I don't know anybody in medical school who does jujitsu. So it's kind of just uh, two separate worlds that I that I try to bridge using my blog. Yeah, that's and that's great that you're willing to share this information. I urge everybody, there'll be a link to it in the show notes to go by there, check out his blog. A lot of the stuff we're gonna be talking about today will be on there in uh, in more detail. So uh, let's, okay. Peter. I think people a lot of times when they start jujitsu are uh, a little cautious. I know when I started jujitsu, I bought a set of headgear that uh, mm-hmm. I don't know where that is, but uh, I never really did wear it. And we're worried about cauliflower ear. Can you maybe uh, talk a little bit, uh, just open up about what cauliflower is and, and how people get it? Okay, so uh, cauliflower ear is a permanent deformity of the ear, the outer ear, and it usually happens when. A hematoma forms. So a hematoma is when there is blood trapped in an enclosed space. So um, when a hematoma forms in the outer ear and you do not drain it, uh, what happens is that, um, that it will heal in a very disorganized fashion and, and you'll end up having a, a very swollen uh, ear that uh, basically is rather unsightly. Um, so where I come from in Singapore, wrestling isn't a big thing. So um, not many people know what uh, cauliflower ear is, so it's kind of ugly. It's not like a badge of honor here. <laughs> but I'll only be worried if I can literally see that uh, a collection of blood has formed in my ear. And how uh, how quickly does it happen? Oh, it's usually instantaneous. So you, you'll find that um, after you've been hit in the ear or someone has been uh, exerting a shearing kind of force against your ear, within a minute or so, um, because... The, the skin has separated from the cartilage, it will fill with blood within like a minute or so, yeah. Okay, so it is similar to in MMA when you see somebody's face, like maybe a spot on the forehead is kind of swollen, a hematoma there. Um, it's, pre- yeah. it's pretty quick, and, and a lot of times, you know, around the eyes, they're kind of swell shut uh, in boxing. Mm-hmm. It's similar to that, but it's just on your ear. And yeah. ultimately, the what happens to the cartilage in your ear that, that is not getting the proper blood flow? Oh, so what happens is that um, the cartilage uh, has a has a rather poor blood supply. So when when you get a hematoma, uh, there's this layer called the perichondrium, and it's responsible for supplying blood to the cartilage. So when when you get a force exerted on the ear that separates the perichondrium from the cartilage, what happens is that the cartilage loses its blood supply, and this will cause it to eventually die. And the attempt to heal and build new cartilage will be very disorganized. So that's essentially what is happening when you see a hematoma. So at at first, when uh, if your ear gets swollen and it is a hematoma, mm-hmm. it's it's squishy. It's like it's like blood in there. And then yeah. ultimately, uh, the ear uh, does not remain squishy. It kind of hardens up. Yeah, it hardens up. And that's is that a chunk of calcium inside your ear, or what is that? Uh, it's actually just uh, it's poorly formed cartilage. That's what I meant to say, not calcium. <laughs> you don't have a bone in your ear. Uh, yeah, uh, cartilage in your ear uh, that uh, that's forming poorly because um, you've damaged the blood vessels. So, how would yep. I guess how and when uh, should this be treated? Well, actually, as 
as long as you see a hematoma, you should probably go get it treated because uh, well, because it won't drain by itself. So you probably should see the doctor as soon as you notice that there is a, a, a hematoma in your ear because uh, it's not going to drain itself. And if you just leave it there, what will happen is that the improper healing will occur and you end up getting that hardened ear that everyone dreads. This may be... Uh hard to answer question but uh, how yeah. most doctors uh, have no experience with uh, grappling or or even wrestling mm. but if i walk in there with qualify air are they going to know really how to treat that is that something that they that is general knowledge or maybe they just look and uh, do a little research and oh i got to drain it is that pretty easy for them to do well i think it really depends on where you're at so I, i'm not sure about how it is in the us because um, I think wrestling is a big thing over there, right? So are, are the doctors usually familiar with hematomas there? I think with cauliflower specifically, they are always, oh, how'd you do this? Tell me about it. And they are, they are interested because it's uh, fairly unique for them. They, they see you know broken arms and, and mm. infections and things like that. But cauliflower probably doesn't walk in the, in the door every day uh, for the average doctor here in the U.S. I, but, but they treat yep, it I fine. Think- yeah, I think I think it's exactly the same thing here in Singapore. So, for example, um, I, I think none of my my medical student friends know a lot about cauliflower ear. It's simply not taught in school because it's such a strange injury. It doesn't really happen very often. So I think you might uh, be in a situation where the doctor will be unfamiliar with it. And maybe it can help if you can explain to them how you got the injury and you can tell them, uh, look, I... Uh, this happens a lot in my sport. It, it's it's actually a hematoma in my ear, and if you don't drain it, um, it's gonna. Uh, what's gonna happen is I'm gonna get cauliflower ear. Actually, uh, if you explain it that way, I think most doctors will appreciate it, and they'll they'll. If they don't know how to treat it, I'm sure they'll be able to read it up. So, um, it you, it always helps to tell the doctor how you got the injury and what you know about it. Yeah, that's that's one good thing because <laughs> I, I always try to. I feel bad for my dog when it's sick because it can't tell my doctor what's wrong. But Hello? but you know you should share that knowledge with your doctor for sure. What you were doing, uh, what you think it is, because you probably have even just listening to this, you have a better grasp on it than a lot of doctors. Um, so uh, give them that advantage to help yourself out. So if I say I I'm grappling right now and uh, I notice some swelling in my ear, uh, you know, a couple hours later uh, I'm in front of a doctor. What's likely to happen uh, from that point? Well, okay. So um, again, when you see the doctor, um, usually when when you su- suffer an injury in sport in a sport, they'll usually do a, some form of general assessment because they are afraid that you know um, you might have been hit on the hit. So they'll probably still do a like a general sort of assessment to see if there's any uh, uh, any damage to your brains or to your nerves. So once they determine that's pretty much clear, they will probably proceed by telling you that they'll need to drain it. So the way they'll do it is that they usually will use a needle. And um, uh, the good thing about visiting a doctor is that they can give you uh, some form of local anesthesia to help you with the pain. And they'll proceed to drain it for you and compress it so that it doesn't fill up with blood again. Okay. So are they just draining out blood, basically? Yep. That's exactly what they're doing. And then uh, they compress it. How does that work and why is that so important? Okay. So what happens is uh, once you drain the fluid, um, you, you, you kind of need the layer of perichondrium to stick to the cartilage. 
Because if you don't, uh, if you don't compress it and ensure that the perichondrium sticks to the cartilage, basically that it will fill up with blood again eventually because the blood vessels are torn. So what you actually want to do is once you've drained the fluid, you actually need to ensure that um, it's all wrapped up nicely in a compression bandage and uh, you'll probably keep that bandage on for like a couple of days and that way you, you, you won't have the situation where you drain it and it refills and you drain it and it refills. I've had many teammates who had, uh, similar, who had problems like this because they chose to drain it by themselves and they didn't know that they needed to uh, uh, compress it to prevent the swelling from reforming. So you've got uh, a lot of great pictures on your website. You've got the uh, really the diagram of the ear showing the cartilage and the uh, is it perichondrium? Is it, I'm saying that right? Yep, um, and the hematoma, and then uh, how to compress it and that sort of thing. Um, if I so everybody should, if you're curious about this, definitely check that out. There's really great illustrations and and uh, just it's so much easier to, to learn what's going on with those pictures. So let's say I uh, get my ear damaged, and um, you know it's, it's I do it in the evening. I got to go home and go to sleep, and then go to work, and, and and I just can't get in there right away. What kind of a time frame do I have before it starts becoming more of a permanent damage? Okay, so well, in general, you like you prob if ideally you try to get medical attention as soon as possible. But uh, if that's not possible, I uh, you generally have a two day window, like uh, give and take a few. Uh, hours or so before the hematoma starts to clot and organize and the healing starts to occur. So uh, I think it would be best if you visit the doctor uh, within two days. Okay, and then let's just say um, I I messed up, you know, I didn't really care or uh, I just didn't do it. Um, is this, am I doing permanent damage to my ear if I wait Longer than two days, or let's say a, a week, or I already have called for ear from years ago. Um, what's what's going on with my ear now? Okay, so um, once uh, beyond two days, what happens is that uh, the blood clot will start to form. So what will happen is that you end up forming like a like a uh, a clot in your ear. And so when you visit the doctor and they find out that okay, it's been a, a like more than two days, they may actually. Uh, need to have to cut or make a small little cut and take out take out the clot using like a like a pair of forceps. So um, if you wait a bit longer, uh, it gets a little bit more complicated, uh, and they may not be able to do it with just like a simple uh, needle needle drainage. And once the cauliflower ear kind of sets in, uh, it's a bit hard to uh, treat it. You probably need to see a either a, a, a specialist either a ear, nose, and throat specialist or even a... I, I think an ENT would be uh, who you would like to see because they may need to do some form of like reconstruction. Okay. I'm not very sure about the details, but... Yeah. yeah. That, that's, that sounds like um, a lot. It, it's like the old... Uh, you get it fixed, like stitch in time is worth nine. Like, get it fixed today. Get it fixed before it gets worse. Um, yeah. And, and it's way easier to fix it. Having a little needle poke in your ear is, is significantly better than having to have them cut it out of your ear or have to go to some specialist that does a uh, reconstructive uh, operation on your ear. Um, yeah, it's definitely worth visiting the doctor a bit earlier to avoid all of that problem. Besides, besides looking uh, kind of, you know, unusual to most people, uh, are there any other ne- uh, negative effects of call fire ear? Well, to be honest, it's, it's actually not that big a deal because uh, it's kind of cosmetic because it, it kind of looks funny. But, 
other than that, it doesn't really cause a lot of problems. Um, possibly, the only problem that could possibly occur is that if you have really bad cauliflower ear, it can eventually swell up to the point where it kind of blocks the ear canal and it kind of affects your hearing. So, But I, I think that, that, that would mean that it will be really, really bad and it's probably unlikely to happen. So I, I think it's not that, uh, not that much of an issue. Yeah, it seems like uh, most of the swelling of the ear happens uh, towards the, I would say, top half or above the ear canal. Yeah, yes. Um, I have seen it uh, in a training partner who had uh, cauliflower ear, you know, pretty bad, and he just he just let his ears go. Um, he finally got it like in the in the lower part by the canal, and it started to swell up. And he, he I got to go to the doctor. I can't have <laughs> my ear canal getting closed by this. So he actually took that a little more seriously. Uh, yeah. Fortunately for him, at least. Mm. Are some people more susceptible to to getting this, or or does it if you get hit in the ear, it's the same on anybody? Well, uh, again, I'm not too sure about this because I don't think any research has really been done about like um, like this kind of injury. But I I suppose we all know that guy who who's like that white belt who is who just started training and has been barely a month and he already has. A, a cauliflower ear. So I yeah. think it, it does vary from person to person. I'm not sure exactly why, but um, definitely some people are more prone to it. And I think a big part about it is um, your style of jujitsu. So some people have a really, like a kind of grinding style where they love to grind their heads against people, maybe when they when they pass or when they play a lot of half guard and that, that puts them in positions where um, the opponent is can put a lot of pressure on their on their year. So I think it also uh, how you play your game in jiu-jitsu kind of affects uh, whether or not you, you, you get cauliflower year. So because uh, I, I haven't had any problems with my year because I, I tend to play a lot of open guard and I, I don't let myself get, get smushed by anybody. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Probably some of it is just how your ear is made and some people get it more likely, but a lot of it is your style of play. Uh, I, my yep. ear got uh, a little agitated uh, with me, uh, when I was working on double leg takedowns, I kept hitting the side of my head up against their hip. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm going to not do that so much anymore. I'm going to work on a different yep. type of takedown. And also, I'm not a big fan of letting, uh, if I could control it, uh, people just kind of crush on my head and get my yep. ears folded up and smashed. So I try to avoid that as well. And uh, I've yep. been pretty fortunate to avoid it uh, uh, for myself. Yep. But, um, unfortunately, sometimes you can't really control it because yeah. uh, the other way you can get cauliflower ears is, if, for example, somebody accidentally knees you in the head, and, and sometimes I mean, how are you going to control that? So I, I guess the only way you can prevent that is you, you choosing your partners carefully. You don't want to partner anybody who's a bit too spazzy or a bit too explosive for you, and, and you can't guarantee your own safety, so you might want to avoid situations like that. Good advice, good advice, Peter. Um, so let's just say I got, I got, uh, my ear drained. Uh, can I go back on the mat tomorrow or do I need to wait a little while or do I need to keep it packed for a certain amount of time or how does this work? Well, in general, you probably shouldn't return uh, back to training, uh, like immediately after. I think a, a good guideline is probably to wait for like around a week before you go back because you, you, it's quite easy to re, re-injure the, your year. I mean, you just had it drained, so what's the rush? Why, why would you want to... I know, I know it's, it's very tempting to get back, but I think it's, it's generally wise to, to keep away from the, from the mats for maybe like a good week. 
I think you can probably get away with some like light drilling, but you probably want to avoid like all forms of like contact, full contact sparring. Okay, yeah, and of so. course the the headgear also helps as well. But uh, yep. about a week or so off, and and just uh, get yep. back so when you I, can. I think a week or so off, and then when you get back, you can probably uh, wear some headgear to to uh, prevent any injury, like re injury, from occurring. And once it heals completely, you can probably uh, take the headgear off in, if you don't like it, or you can keep it on, and that will help prevent any new injuries from occurring. All right, Peter, we've covered a lot about uh, cauliflower ear, but a lot of times uh, people you know, either do this at home, they drain it at home and pack it, or they um, they do it at the gym. Somebody knows how to do it. Uh, what advice do you have for somebody? Why is it important to go see a doctor or professional versus just doing that uh, you know, yourself? Uh, well, so I think there are a couple of advantages to seeing a, like a healthcare professional as opposed to doing it yourself. Um, first and foremost, I think... Uh, First of all, uh, it's very important to use clean needles. So I, I'm not sure. Sh- uh, if you're going to do it by yourself, make sure that you're using like a clean needle and you're uh, keeping, keep, uh, making sure that the wound is clean after you drain it. So if you do it at home, the risk of infection will be a bit higher because you, you may not uh, do it in like uh, aseptic technique. So you, uh, if you see the doctor, they can probably ensure that there'll be like a lower chance of infection. And other than that, um, the doctor can actually give you, like as I said, some form of local anesthesia, so the drainage will be less painful. Um, uh, some people find that the pain is not that big a, a deal because it's just a small needle, so it may not really be uh, a big factor. And other than that, I think uh, sometimes you, you may not know the extent of the injury, so you, you kind of can guess that there's a hematoma, but um, you may not be able to realize if a clot has been formed and if um, needle drainage is uh, insufficient. So going to a doctor can help because they can determine if they need to cut it open to remove any clots. Or they can even, uh, if they decide, if they discover that um, they, you actually need to see a specialist, they can refer you to the right uh, people. So I think in general, I would definitely recommend that you see a doctor or a healthcare professional. Um, that being said, um, I know that... Uh, Healthcare can be expensive, and sometimes it's just really, really inconvenient uh, to see the doctor, especially if this happens a lot to you when you train. So I guess in situations like that, if you, if, if you really cannot avoid it, I guess you could probably drain it by yourself. But just make sure that you use clean needles and you find some way to compress it afterwards because if you drain it and you don't compress it, it's as good as not draining it. So uh, I, 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 there are many ways to compress it. I, I, I hear that some people have had success with using uh, neodymium magnets to compress it. So just make sure that you compress it, uh, whatever method you use. Just ensure that you keep the two layers stuck together so that the hematoma doesn't form again. And that's one great thing about having uh, a professional. They'll tell you, okay, you know, based on your injury, you need to have it compressed for this amount of time. And when you're doing it at home, you you might compress it not long enough or you might compress it for way too long. Uh, yeah. You just don't have so, that sort of guidance. So- Okay. Uh, anything else you want to add about uh, cauliflower ear and, and uh, taking care of your ears? Um, no, not really. I think 
uh, we've we've gone into it into in pretty good detail. Okay, yep. and, and you mentioned the the cost of going to a doctor. Um, this doesn't sound like a real expensive doctor visit, uh, even if you you don't have insurance. You know, you're you know, you'll get your ear drained and packed. It's, it shouldn't yeah. be too terribly expensive. And and I would urge people, yeah. you know, to take care of it now versus later. It'd be a lot cheaper, a lot quicker, yeah. a lot less pain. Um, mm. Just just take care of yourself. It's part of. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's an important part of you, and if and if you don't want to have cauliflower ears, you need to to get on that as soon as you can. Yep, exactly. Okay, uh, Daniel, let's move on uh, talking about uh, a topic that I've always been curious about. Um, having been uh, choked unconscious a couple of times on the mats, what's what's happening to my brain? Am I doing any damage? Um, you know, it's always happened to me on accident. I I was intending to tap, but I just uh, woke up later on. Um, maybe just walk me through a little bit about um, the choke and, and what's happening uh, before we get too much into to the brain damage that might might or might not occur. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, so um, uh, before we talk about what happens when you get choked out, I think first we need to differentiate between like a blood choke and a like a like a windpipe choke. Okay. So I'm sure we've we've all felt the difference between like a like a forearm choke against against the windpipe as opposed to like a rear naked choke. So a blood choke, what it does is that uh, it cuts off the arterial supply to the head. So it will cut off the carotid arteries in the neck. And what this will do is that uh, it reduces the blood flow and eventually stops the blood flow to uh, the front part of the brain. And that will cause you to uh, uh, lose consciousness within uh, like around 10 to 20, 10 seconds around there. So um, that's how you end up losing consciousness when you get choked out. And the the other kind of uh, choke, the pressure on your neck, is um, just uh, a very painful thing that could, uh, I, I guess, could be very serious injury if if you're able to uh, to. Not. Yeah. So, uh, so like for a wind a windpipe choke, uh, it's actually it's really painful, but actually the risk of injury is is not that high because it's very painful and your trachea, which is the 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 name for the windpipe is actually uh, reinforced by cartilage, so it's actually quite strong. So unless you, you get crushed by a punch to your windpipe, it's unlikely to be damaged. And if you actually get choked out, you'll probably feel the pain before you actually uh, damage your windpipe. So as long as you tap early, you probably can avoid uh, any windpipe injuries because yeah. the pain will, will, will get you before any damage has, has been done because it's quite sensitive. I've it's never... Sensitive. Yeah, I've, I've never actually... Uh, seen or I guess heard of anybody getting their windpipe seriously damaged from yeah, uh, a choke like that. It's pretty rare. I think. It's just so much. Listen to your body; it's screaming in pain, and that's a good time to tap. But I mean, in reality, um, it's the differences between uh, the blood and, and the windpipe would be uh, your your brain is needing that blood right now, and the blood already has oxygen in it. But the windpipe, I mean, in theory. You could still be awake for a little while because your 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 blood's still pumping and getting to your brain. It's it's more yep. like a, a breath holding type of thing that would be, um, yeah, a little slower. Uh, that being said, that being said, sometimes, uh, if, for example, if you uh, a a windpipe choke can eventually end up becoming a blood choke because if you compress the front of the neck uh, enough, you can eventually you might actually end up compressing the carotid arteries as well. So sometimes, like a really tight guillotine, can start out at start off as a wind choke and it can eventually proceed into becoming a blood choke and you still can go out. Okay. Yeah, I, I would uh, yeah. 
I definitely have, think I've felt that before. And a lot of chokes are kind yep. of in between to where uh, yeah, you're getting that pressure between, on your so. on your windpipe and you're also getting uh, a little dizzy at the same time. Yep. So uh, kind of walk me through. Um, actually, let me... Let me tell you about my experiences. Um, well, one time, uh, the most recent time I got choked unconscious, uh, we, we were demonstrating a technique, and I thought yeah. that the technique was um, – it didn't feel like it was that tight. And he says – the my instructor said, can you get out of this? And I thought, well, I could at least try. And as I'm trying to get out of it, um, my arms kind of got numb and, and, and really couldn't move very well. And the next thing I know, he's asking me if I went unconscious. And and okay. that that was that was about it. But um, so what really happened uh, to me in that situation? And and I did go unconscious. I, I was completely out, yeah. just laying there on the mat, asleep in front of an entire class that was watching this technique get demonstrated. <laughs> but yeah. it, so so what happened um, to my brain? What happened to my body? Why did uh, why did I feel uh, numbness in my arms? Uh, that sort of thing. If you have any answers for that. Well, so as for like the numbness in the arms, I'm not too sure exactly, but. In, in general, what what is happening physiologically is that um, your brain is uh, very sensitive to changes in uh, blood supply and its oxygen supply. So uh, the brain is like the most important part of your body. So um, whenever anything goes wrong, the first thing your body does is to try to preserve the blood flow to the brain. So that kind of shows you um, just how important ensuring that uh, enough blood goes to your brain is to your body. So when you get when what happens when you get choked out is that um, you are cutting off the blood supply, and if uh, what happens is this you enter a state called uh, cerebral hypoxia. So that means that there's not enough oxygen uh, going to your brain, and because your brain is so sensitive, uh, within ten seconds of uh, uh, cutting off the blood supply, you will lose consciousness. As for uh, the details, it's, it's a bit hard for me to explain, and I'm not too sure myself, but in general, it's because there's insufficient oxygen to your, to your brain, and you end up losing consciousness. Okay, yeah, and that's, that's the way I understand it as well. I, and, and maybe the, the numbness in my, in my arms, and I felt numbness in my arms from several chokes that mm. I have, was fortunate enough to fight off, but I think as I'm feeling this, I'm going to go out, or I should be tapping um, and sometimes I'm, I, I end up tapping with my, my hand I can hardly feel or I'm able to kind of just wiggle out and get, get uh, yeah. free of the choke. But that to me is my, uh, my last symptom before I'm going to get uh, put unconscious. And some people mm. say their vision starts to go and they, and they start to, to lose that. And basically yeah. I think what you're describing is the body will shut off things and just try to get the brain oxygen and, 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 and maybe that's maybe the cause of that. I don't know. Yeah. It- I think it really varies from person to person. So, for example, for me, I kind of feel like the whole room is closing in on me, and I, I feel like uh, I'm, I, I slowly like lose my peripheral vision, and like I feel like oh, I'm just I feel like the whole room is collapsing on me. I, I don't really feel the numbness, so I think it, it, the symptoms, exact symptoms, really uh, vary. And again, I don't I don't I'm not sure if any like studies have been done. So. Uh, if there, there have been studies, I'm not very aware of them, so I'm not sure about the, the details about the numbness. Yeah, neither am I, uh, Peter. I think the the uh, I feel that too. I feel like somebody gets a rear uh, real tight rear naked choke or something that's happening very fast. It's like the whole like the door's getting slammed closed, and uh, there's no numbness in my arms. I think the 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 numbness that I experience is when 
the choke is not quite perfect. It's not quite where I want to tap and I'm struggling, but I'm still uh, not getting enough oxygen to my brain to make it happy. And it's, and it's, and it's struggling there. Um, that's the, the only time I've been choked unconscious was when I thought I could get out when I didn't um, yeah. think the choke was that good. Uh, you know, I got, I got choked from uh, top on side control and, th- and there was just almost no way I was going to tap to this cause I'm on side control. I'm on top. And, but yet yeah. his hands were in a good spot and, uh, and I just like everything my brain was telling me is you can get out of this. It's not a big deal. And, you know, and then it just shut off. But so uh, I, I uh, recommend not to get choked unconscious at all. If you could avoid it, just to tap from the choke and to and to, to move on. Is there is there you think there's damage being done uh, when it's uh, left without oxygen briefly or is it not that big a deal? OK, so um, in general, your brain can uh, what happens is that. If you cut off the blood supply to the brain for like greater than four minutes, that is when you start to get irreversible damage to your brain. So, for example, when you hear about people getting strokes or like uh, bleeding in the brain, um, the damage starts to occur like after four minutes. So, if you think about it, it's very unlikely in jujitsu that you'll be holding on to a choke for like greater than like, yeah. like maybe 20 seconds because I'm sure you realize that the guy has gone limp. So I would think that um, it's not very common for you to have, it, it probably is very, very unlikely that you have any brain, uh, lasting brain damage. Um, however, uh, in certain individuals, for example, if you had a previous stroke or any previous uh, like, uh, like serious brain uh, injuries, your brain's uh, tolerance to like a lack of oxygen might be a lot lower. So uh, in that case, the risk might be a bit higher. I'm unable to really quantify the risk. But in general, for the, the vast majority of us out there, I don't think um, getting choked out will lead to any uh, lasting brain damage. It, it feels like on some chokes that my head is going to just like explode is is blood getting in but not going out maybe or yeah or what's happening there so so actually um if you if you look at like the anatomy of the neck it's kind of hard for me to explain it um like just through like like my voice alone (laughs) yeah but um what happens is that um there's also a jugular vein like uh like next to the carotid artery so um, just just so that uh, for those of you out there who don't really know, so what happens is um, the artery will bring blood to an organ and the vein will kind of uh, bring the blood away from the organ back to the heart. So um, when, you, when, you, when you feel a, a choke being locked in, what happens is that the vein gets, the vein is a bit more uh, superficial. So what happens is that the vein gets blocked first and you get this uh, feeling of like, this engorgement of blood in your head. And that's because you're kind of um, obstructing the flow of blood from the brain back to the to uh, the heart. So you will feel like this sensation where your head is about to explode because um, the blood's not returning. And if once the choke gets a bit deeper, then you start to, to feel like... That, that, then you start to uh, compress on the carotid artery and then you really go out. But before that, the, the veins are occlu- occluded first. Okay. And that's why you feel like your head's about to explode. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I didn't know if it was. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm looking at a picture now. It, the the vein is 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 
more on the outside. So a lighter yeah. press to the neck would cause the pressure and, and ensure blood's getting to your brain, but that same blood isn't able to exit, uh, yep. your, the, your head and you're just getting pressure built up. So in that situation, would that be, um, more potentially dangerous for somebody who is a stroke risk or maybe some of our more senior uh, grapplers who are who are a little up there in age is that a, a more dangerous thing to have that sort of pressure on your head or is that dangerous for everybody or not that big a deal i don't think it's that big a deal because uh it's the the pressure will, it's not uh it's not over like a extended period of time so it's unlikely to cause any damage so um that being said, it's probably not a good idea to get choked out very often if, you're, <laughs> if you have other medical conditions. But in general, I think that if if you fall into that category where you've had a previous stroke or any like traumatic brain injury, you're probably not doing jujitsu in your free time. You're probably a bit more sick. So I think for the vast majority of practitioners out there, even uh, those who are uh, a bit more a bit older, I wouldn't worry too much about this unless. Uh, you, your, your doctor has specifically warned you about something. So, um, uh, the, for example, there could there is a rare uh, situation where like getting choked out um, can cause a bit of uh, problems, and but this only occurs to a small population of people. It's really rare. So, for su- certain people, uh, there's su- there's such a thing called uh, carotid sinus hypersensitivity. So, again, if you look at the anatomy. Um, there's this thing uh, in the artery, the carotid artery, called the carotid sinus or the carotid body. And its, its purpose is to regulate uh, blood pressure. So what happens is if you get choked out and you compress uh, the arteries, the carotid sinus will sense an increase in pressure and it will, uh, it will feed, feed back to the heart to, to slow, slow down the rate of pumping. So... If you have a very hypersensitive, uh, uh, this reflex is hypersensitive, you can end up having, uh, like your heart can stop momentarily or can there can be other heart problems. But this is really rare. It doesn't happen to everyone. And usually it will present to you before uh, you get choked out. Like, for example, you may faint on, on a regular basis or you find that you fall down all of a sudden and you don't know why. So that could happen, but it's really, really very rare. Oh, okay. I, I've never heard of that, yeah. and I, I'm not even yeah, going to try so, to pronounce it. I think it. I'll just say it one more time. It, it, it's called carotid sinus hypersensitivity. It, it's it's very rare, so I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, good. If I get choked out uh, on accident or I'm just too stubborn to tap from the choke or whatever, I end up getting uh, woken up by people. Uh, how uh, is there... A lot of times I see people lift up the legs to get the blood flow uh, rushed back to the head, or is that really necessary? The heart's still pumping away. Um, so do you have a, any idea of the maybe a good method to wake somebody up? Well, I think actually you probably don't really need to do much because eventually uh, the blood flow will find its way back into uh, the head. So um, I'm not too sure about like what's the right way to do it. So for example, like, uh, for like uh, medics and for like medical personnel, usually when people lose consciousness, they kind of recommend that you put them in like a recovery position, which is like kind of tilted to the side. So I, I tend to favor that. But uh, I know that a lot of people like they lift the legs up, and I think theoretically that's quite sound because you're trying to return the blood 
back to the head. So I, I don't think it really matters that much because your your body will, as in, uh, the blood will eventually get back to the brain. So I, I think it matters a bit. It doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. So I tend to favor the recovery position, but I, I know a lot of people uh, will will lift the legs up. I, I'm not too sure about what the right way to do it is. Yeah, that, I mean, just do the recovery position, get them on their side. Um, the, I don't think that people uh, are likely to vomit from a head injury, but if somebody does, you or from being choked, but if somebody does, you don't want them to be laying on their back while that happens, while they're unconscious. That could be very dangerous. Yeah. So get them on their side, and uh, the, their heart always pumps the blood to their brain anyway. Uh, that, yeah. That's going to do a fine job of getting the blood back into the yep. into the brain. Yep. So uh, I get choked out. Okay, I feel uh, what's happened to me. Um, I literally for a, a minute or so, I feel pretty sleepy I, and, and tired and confused. And after that, uh, I feel okay. You know, a um, little bit disappointed in myself that something like that happened to me um, because of it, it is really my own fault when when I get choked out. Um, yep. I, I'm always given time to tap, but uh, I'm just too stubborn or I didn't see it coming. Let's say I get choked out and and I for the the few minutes that after it happens I feel kind of sleepy and confused. But after that I, I you know I feel okay. Um, do you think it's okay to return on the mat or should I be like you know packing it up and, and getting ready to go home or just my teammates be watching me or, or or how do I know if I'm okay to 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 continue to to work out that evening? Okay, so uh, that's a good question. I, I think there's no real hard and fast rule. It all depends on uh, the situation and the person involved. So I think a, a good rule of the, the thumb is that you should listen to your body. So um, I've had many teammates who've been choked out and uh, they actually feel uh, fine like uh, maybe like 10 minutes later. So they're still able to continue, continue training. But I think it's wise to always uh, pay attention to how you're feeling. So if you feel... Uh, if you feel like very, you're very tired for an extended period of time, it's probably wise to take it a bit easier and even stop training altogether for that for that session. So I would rec- really recommend that uh, you pay attention to how you're feeling and uh, don't try to like you, you try not to tough it out and and do anything unwise. Okay, yeah, and uh, I, it it just seems like to me uh, try not to get choked unconscious again that same day um it, it, it maybe it's not a big deal but it just seems like it would be you know like you don't want to get hit in the head you get a concussion and then get a concussion before you're done healing it just seems yeah i think like, that's definitely wise yeah to, just, to avoid getting choked out again <laughs> just take that extra caution maybe it's not uh, really doing anything for you but uh, be a little more careful in your chokes next time especially you know yep. in the immediate future um i you know i'm i'm, I'm glad to hear that it and I know that there's limited research on this. It's kind of a new phenomenon that we have people uh, choking each other, and sometimes they go unconscious, and most of them don't get medical help to, get, to see the research on what's happening to their brain and, and any damage. But, um, you know, with a lot of the uh, – sometimes the striking arts, you're taking these shots to the head, you're getting dizzy on a daily basis, or you're occasionally getting knocked down or even knocked out. Uh, that is uh, – could be very uh, damaging to your brain, but um, on the rare occasion that we get, uh, you know, choked good enough to uh, make us go unconscious, it it appears to be if, as long as you're in a safe environment, people who who realize that you're out, uh, not super dangerous for you. Yep, I agree. Okay, any um, other things that you would uh, recommend um, involving? Uh, getting choked unconscious as far as uh, things to look out for or anything like that, or have we kind of covered it pretty well? 
Well, I think in general, I think tap, tapping early is the, the smartest thing in this situation. I mean, what you, it, it's probably best to not be choked out in the first place, yeah. right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree. And if if you're just a stubborn person, uh, you know, I've only, having been choked out a couple times myself, I've been fortunate that I haven't lost control of my bodily functions, but uh, I've heard rumors of this. So, uh, you know, just if you're that stubborn, keep in mind, you might end up having to change uh, your your gi pants because of this, and that would be rather embarrassing. So to tap earlier, you know, it's not that big a deal. I mean, we're here to yeah. train and have a good time. So Yep. Um, let's talk a little bit, and this is a huge topic. This could be an episode in itself about skin infections. Um, just kind of, if you want to open up a little bit about about skin infections that we can get while training or things to look out for. Okay, so um, so skin infections is is like a, it's a big topic in jujitsu and other combat sports, uh, mainly because of the the great amount of like skin on skin contact in in grappling and other forms of uh, combat sports like. Uh, kickboxing or any clinch clinch fighting and because uh, gyms are usually like uh, moist environments environments that are very warm uh, it usually is very uh, conducive for microorganisms to uh, to grow on your skin so in general um, infections can be classified according to the organism uh, that is doing the infecting so uh, in general there would usually be like bacterial infections, viral infections, and fungal infections. There are other infections out there by like parasites like worms, but I think that's not very, very common uh, in like uh, maybe big cities and other developed countries. They may be more of an issue in like uh, other tropical countries or if your training environment isn't very clean. But in general, the big three would be bacterial, viral, and fungal infections. Okay, those are the big three. And you have... uh Three great articles on on those uh, and covering them in, in a lot more detail than we're probably going to be able to do today. Um, could you just maybe give an idea of some general symptoms uh, that somebody might have a skin infection? Yeah, okay. So, um, again, it depends on the organism. So, uh, bacterial infections, uh, base, so basically uh, infections can be like uh, uh, classified uh, besides the organism, they can be classified about. Uh, they can be classified into like which layer of the skin is involved. So if the deeper layers involved, they would be more serious, and if the more uh, the outer layers are involved, it's less serious. So uh, for for bacterial infections, um, generally, uh, uh, bacterial infections tend to be uh, painful, and uh, you might even have symptoms such as fever a fever, and you, you might see that there's like a swelling that with a lot of pus. So that's characteristic of a bacterial infection. You see pus, fever, redness, and it kind of, you just feel a bit uh, unwell. Uh, as for viral infections, viral infections are a bit tricky because they tend to be uh, asymptomatic. So you don't really feel uh, anything. It may not really be itchy. You just see little warty things or uh, little uh, fluid-filled uh, bubbles on your skin. So viral infections tend to be a bit tricky because uh, you may not even know that they're there. Um, as for fungal infections, fungal infections uh, tend to be uh, manifest in terms of like itching and you kind of see that your skin is starting to flake and like basically your skin is like falling apart. So I think in broad, broad strokes, that's how you would 
uh, how I would say that they differ in terms of their general symptoms. Yeah, and and it's you've got a lot of pictures online. If you have a concern about what you have, it's it's always hard to to try to diagnose yourself online. Uh, when should somebody go see a doctor and, and and get some help with this sort of thing? Yeah. So again, um, there's a whole field uh, like a specialty in medicine dedicated to the skin. Uh, so that kind of show goes to show. Um, that it's actually a very visual feel. So a lot of things look like other things and it's very confusing to like the untrained eye. So even I, I, I don't, as a medical student, I, it's, it's really hard for me to tell the difference between uh, like, for example, eczema and a fungal infection. So in general, I would recommend that most people should go and see a doctor and they should see the doctor when they see, when they find that um, there's an unusual thing on their skin. So if it wasn't there before, and you suddenly see, uh, like for example, like like a wart or something. You, you should probably go see the doctor. And uh, you can also you should also see the doctor if you f- you feel like uh, you, you you may be having a bacterial infection. So you like see an abscess that's painful, like a staph infection. So um, in general, just pay attention uh, to your skin when you're like taking a shower or you're uh, grooming yourself. And if you see anything unusual, you should. It's probably wise to maybe observe it for a couple of days. And if it isn't going away, you should probably go see the doctor. Yeah, and then the doctor is also going to be able to give you that advice whether uh, this is contagious for your people uh, on the mat with you. And uh, yep. that's that's good information to know. I mean, it's 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 one thing to tough out uh, an ankle injury and train, but if you're getting on the mat and giving everybody skin infections, uh, you need to not be doing that. Uh, it doesn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not a lot of gray area there. It's it's either uh, you're contagious or you're not, and if you are contagious, you shouldn't be on the mat. Uh, yep. What what would you say? And I know we don't have a lot of like numbers on jujitsu and 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 skin infections as far as numbers wise. But what is one of the more common or some of the more common skin infections in jujitsu? Um, so I would I would say that the deeper skin infections are a bit more uncommon. So for example, um, you you probably wouldn't need to worry about uh, anything uh, deeper than the the outer layers of the skin. So for bacterial infections, the most common would be this thing called impetigo. So you would see like a golden kind of crust on your skin. Um, other infections that are common would be um, like general like uh, abscesses and boils. By uh, the common organism would be like staph. So staph is the most. Uh, I mean, that's how people describe it as staph. But staph is actually just the organism. The the thing itself is called a boil or an abscess. As for uh, fungal infections, uh, ringworm is the most common. So you you uh, you probably see like this ring like uh, itchy thing on your skin. And viral infections, it's it's really a mixed bag. It depends on uh, it. For example, I think warts are very common, like viral warts. Uh, so it, I think it depends on where where you are where you are living. So for example, in a tropical country in Singapore where it's really warm, I think fungal infections are a lot uh, a, a bigger deal because like fungi thrive in hot, moist environments, and for, exa- for example, sometimes in my gym, especially, especially during like no gi, it gets so sweaty that the mats are like, like, like you you're drenched in sweat, and there are little puddles of sweat in the on the mats. That would be like the prime breeding ground for like a fungal infection, but it would be different in a, like a colder country. So I think it really depends from like where you're where you're at and how clean your gym is. Yeah. 
Okay, and uh, I've had um, ringworm more times than I than I know. It's it's been years since I've had it, but uh, back in my earlier days of training, I'd get it every you know three or four months. I get ringworm, and because of that, I I think that at least on my own body, I could say, okay, this is ringworm, and um, and I know how to proceed to get rid of it from there. But uh, first time, I you know sometimes you get a student that's like, what is is this something? And a lot of times. I feel confident in saying that looks like a ringworm. Uh, get uh, some some treatment at the store, and if that but that doesn't start working, maybe it's something else. So I, even then, um, like I said, skin infections are hard to identify. But uh, yeah, but having some experience with it, and, and a lot of coaches are able to identify ringworm pretty easily. Um, but yep. I think that's one of the easier ones, and that's a fungal infection. Is what you're saying, right? Yeah. And I think sometimes uh, it's some people have that. Uh, is that possible to have that living in your ghee to where if you don't get your ghee cleaned off, uh, cleaned really well and dry, it is actually um, every time you put your ghee back on, you're actually reintroducing that to your system and everybody else's system. Is that a possibility? Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility. So uh, we all know that guy who doesn't wash his ghee and his ghee is always really wet and and disgusting. So. In situations like that, I think uh, uh, it's definitely possible for like or, like uh, microorganisms to like stay on the ghee. So I would definitely recommend that uh, everyone wash their gear regularly because you don't want to be passing your germs and all these like nasty uh, microorganisms to your partners. Yeah, and sometimes it seems like the person has washed their ghee. They say they did, and it still just has. Um, a, a bit of an odor to it. Um, they're either not getting it clean enough, or maybe it's beyond uh, repair at this point in time. But a, a lot of people don't do a good job of drying their ghee because they don't want to put it in the dryer. It tumbles it all, yeah. the, you know, for an hour and makes it worn out, and it'll shrink it sometimes if it's if it hasn't mm-hmm. been shrunk already. Um, uh, for myself, I will hang it up, and then I'll take a fan and point the fan at the ghee as it's hanging, and that moving air will really help get it to, to dry out quickly and not take 12 or 12 or more hours mm. to dry. So I, I don't have any, I guess I don't have any scientific evidence behind it, but I have to get my, my ghee cleaned as soon as I get home and get it drying uh, as soon as possible. And, uh, yeah, I think that helps us, helps me, uh, keep, uh, ringworm free. Yeah. I think that's not a big deal in Singapore because it's really warm here. Okay. So, that's always the sun is always out there. So, um, like I find that my geese dry like it like within a couple of hours as long as I like leave them out to dry. So um, you, you put them I in think the sun. Using the fan is definitely a good idea. Yeah. Do you put them outside in the sun, or do you just is just warm enough? I inside? try to avoid like direct sunlight. Okay. But sometimes it's just like it's just really hot. It's just so warm that your geese just dry on their own out there within a couple of hours. Okay, and so I think uh, we're kind of covering. Uh, ringworm, one of the more common uh, things. What would be one of the more serious or potentially um, dangerous skin infections that people can get? Okay, so um, in general, the fungal infections and the viral infections are probably not as serious as compared to the bacterial infections. Uh, So um, for bacterial infections, the deeper infections would be a bit more worrying. So, uh, for example, like cellulitis and um, uh, cellulitis and anything deeper than that would be a cause for concern because uh, what you're worried about when you have a bacterial infection is that 
the the infection kind of spreads either through the blood to other parts of the body, and you can enter um, into like a, a very serious illness uh, called sepsis, and either that or it, the bacteria could spread into the surrounding region, so you could get a, a bone infection. So um, in general, bacterial infections are a bit more worrying, but in jiu-jitsu, it's unlikely that you, you uh, will end up having a situation like this because um, it's very obvious when you have a serious infection. It's not something that it's easy to, to train through because you will be very unwell. So you will have a fever, uh, you, you have a swinging fever. So sometimes your fever will be really high and then it comes down again and you'll have chills so you probably will know that it's a serious infection and you, you probably go to the doctor on your own. So uh, most of the other infections are under life-threatening, yeah. Okay. With the, with the staph, is that typically caused by uh, an abrasion to the skin or something like that and then it's able to get in there or, or is it – is that I, I don't really understand how people get staph. Does it just happen or – Yeah, so um, so – if you think about uh, your human body, so your skin acts as a barrier uh, protecting the inside from the outside. So as long as uh, there's a break in that barrier, be it in, in the form of an abrasion or a cut, uh, it kind of acts as like a portal of entry for all the like nasty organisms out there. So what happens is if there's a cut, it's easy for, for the bacteria to go inside and it will like colonize the area and cause there to be some infection. So that's generally what happens. Okay, and then what will this cut look like? Um, as it, if it is, if it's going to be bad, and I'm going to end up getting sick and a fever and and not feeling good, um, does this cut get all red and irritated, or, or does it swell up, or or what generally happens when I have a when somebody gets a staph infection like that? Yep. So um, it's it's uh, bacterial infections are very characteristic. So um, you will generally see some form of redness swelling and pain so that 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 will like immediately indicate to you that there's some form of like inf- uh, bacterial infection and there might or might not be a fever depending on how serious it is so redness swelling and pain okay and then and, and warmth and warmth as well you feel like the area is a bit warmer than than the surrounding area yeah yeah it feels like it's cooking in there um yep i got uh has been uh Maybe about a year ago, I got bit by a cat, which wasn't on the mat, thank goodness. But um, okay. the, the cat bit me, and I guess cats uh, – my doctor said a cat bite is worse than a dog bite because the cats have so much bacteria in their mouth compared to a dog. And yeah, uh, with, the, the, the doctor okay. took a, a pin and drew a circle around the redness, and then he uh, – I, I guess the, the, you watch that to see if it gets bigger or, or what's going on. Mm. Why is that done? he probably was just worried that the infection would spread and he probably didn't want to give you like, uh, two, like, did he give you antibiotics? Straight yeah. Oh. Uh, I don't know if it was, I don't remember as long enough ago that I don't remember, but I think he was kind of just watching to see if it was going to uh, get bigger or, or get smaller. Yeah. So in, in general, if you, if you see that, uh, like a, like a bacterial infection, like, like an abscess is getting bigger. So that's a, that should warn you that, uh, look, your body is not able to fight this off. So I guess the reason why he did that is just so that uh, he could be alerted to like an infection that wasn't resolving. Okay, so my my body is not doing a good job of, of fighting that, and I'm going to need some antibiotics to help get rid of that. Yeah. 
Though, okay. though I suspect that if it was a cat bite, he probably would have immediately given you antibiotics. I think, because, yeah, I think you're right. I think he did, but yeah, uh, but uh, it's just interesting to see. Um, you know, that's kind of my body isn't going to be able to fight that off on its own. Um, yeah, at least not without making me very sick in the process. So, um, the redness, swelling, and and the heat is often there, I guess, with the this type of an infection. And uh, if you feel sick and you go to the doctor and you have a cut that looks kind of angry, you uh, tell that to your doctor, you know, like we said earlier, tell them why you think you're here. And, uh, yep. you know, if you have a cut in your leg and they don't see it and they're just treating you to be, oh, you're sick for some reason, we got to figure this out. Well, you might have a staph infection on your leg that's making you uh, sick. Is that is that good advice to tell them about that? Yeah, that, that's that's great advice. Okay. Well, uh, there's a lot more to go on skin infections. You've got uh, three articles, you know, one each on uh, the fungal, viral, and bacterial, kind of breaking those down with pictures and things like that. Do you have anything just broad sense to say about um, skin infections and doing jujitsu? Well, I, I think that actually, um, as uh, it's, it's exactly like any other like condition, prevention is better than cure. So in general, you, you, you want to prevent uh, any skin infection from occurring. So I think the best way to do that is to maintain a good standard of hygiene. So I would really recommend that uh, people uh, shower immediately after training. They ensure that they use soap to scrub all, all, like your, all, all the areas of your body. And I will also recommend that uh, you avoid training when you have an open wound. So... Um, uh, you, you should definitely cover up any cuts or any abrasions so that uh, you, it's it's less likely that you get any infection. So I think in general, if you take care of your hygiene, uh, it's unlikely that you will uh, get a skin infection. And also, uh, as long as the gym is clean and uh, the mats are clean regularly, it's also uh, it makes it a bit less likely that an infection will occur. You need to take care of yourself, make sure you're clean. Also helps greatly if the mats are clean and if your training partners are taking care of themselves, which might involve a kind of an odd conversation about, hey, you know, your your ghee is not a clean uh, as we like, or uh, you know, it's you kind of smell like you've been working outside all day and you you're really you're already walking in and you're filthy. Uh, maybe a shower before you work out isn't a bad idea either. Um, yep. But it's it's really for the safety for everybody on the mat because um, you know we're going to get abrasions on our skin while we train. If mm-hmm. if we can make it a cleaner environment to begin with, we'll be less likely to get uh, a serious infection from that. All right, Daniel, we've talked uh, about you know cauliflower ear, brain injury, and uh, skin infections. And uh, while I have you here, I definitely want to kind of just dive into a little bit. And this could be, like I said about the skin thing, a whole episode on its own, getting injured on the mat, maybe a more traumatic injury. Um, and, and just, I mean, there's, we could go anywhere. I mean, this could be arm, leg, you know, ribs, back, anything. But um, I think the easiest way to start with, have you uh, witnessed or been a part of or, or uh, been on the mat when somebody was uh, injured? And maybe if you have a story for that, you could share and might just kind of help us understand the process of, of helping a teammate that gets hurt. Okay. So um, I actually have a, uh, encountered a situation such as that. So uh, I was training one day. Uh, uh, doing some nogi, and I think uh, uh, one of my uh, teammates, uh, she re-injured her knee, so her patella, which is uh, that uh, the kneecap, uh, had a dislocation, and she fell on the floor clutching her knee, and she was like screaming in pain. So um, uh, I think 
the in general, uh, whenever you uh, whenever something like that happens, the first thing you need to do is uh, assess uh, how severe it is. So, for example, if you sprain an ankle, it's unlikely that you need to like you need immediate medical treatment because you you probably can take care of yourself or and the injury is not as severe. So, in in her case, uh, she was in a lot of pain, and I could tell that um, she wouldn't be able to move on her own. So we, we, it was very hard for us to even move her because she, she, it's, she was in a lot of pain. So in a situation like that, I th- what I did was I, I called the ambulance immediately because I, I realized that she needed to go get help like right now. And we, since we weren't able to move her, it would be best if the medics got here and put her on a stretcher. So I think in general, what we should do when something like that happens is first see how severe it is and then determine whether or not uh, you actually need help. And if not, if you don't need help, then uh, uh, follow the basic guidelines to in, like sports injury, which would be uh, to use the uh, the rice uh, protocol, which is rest, ice, compression, and elevation, and uh, that will usually uh, do the trick. So those are the the rice would be good. Um, you get a little banged up and end up having you, you go home still, and um, just kind of remember those things to take care of yourself. Uh, over the the, the the immediate future at home, um, the other deal uh, you end up calling for help, and uh, having been on the other side of that as a firefighter, occasionally we get called out to somebody who has a injured knee or a broken leg or something, and it is really too painful to move them. And yep. we, we have splints, we have uh, devices to put on the leg, and and a lot of times why it hurts so bad, especially with the broken bones, is because the bones are rubbing against each other and they're moving around. Yeah, exactly. And your, your leg isn't being supported by the skeletal system. And so the splint will actually take care of that. The splint's going to support your leg and prevent those bones from rubbing on each other. And and, and so it, you'll have somebody who's in agonizing pain on the ground and they, they just don't want to, you know, they barely can tell you their name. And we say, you know, you put the splint on them and it still hurts, but they're able to, to help and to deal with the situation. Um, it takes away a lot of the pain. So just as a teammate, you know, if someone's in that much pain, it's it's like going to the doctor because they numb your ear before they take the, bl- the blood out. It, they'll be able to take away some of the pain and discomfort before they move you. And so it won't be nearly as a miserable experience. So that's that's great advice. I think you did the perfect thing, especially she had a pre-existing knee injury and she knew this is likely what happened to me. Uh, I, yep. My knees are already bad. So, uh, do you have any idea of, of maybe when to make that judgment of I'm going to call for some uh, call for an ambulance or um, or th- I'm just going to go home? Any idea of, of when that uh, should be done? Is it listening to your body type of thing? Uh, I guess I, I, again, I don't think there's any high and fast rule. It depends on the situation. So, um, I think if maybe after like five minutes you see that the person isn't getting any better and the pain is just too much for them to handle and they can't take care of themselves. I think in a situation like that, it would be wise to uh, call for help. But if you see that, okay, the pain has somewhat subsided, because I, I know every injury starts off with a lot of pain. But for example, if you, if you, if you uh, tear your ACL, there'll be a huge, you hear a pop sound and there'll be a lot of swelling. But in general, you probably don't really need to call the ambulance because the swelling might go down. You, you can support your friend and, uh, when he's when the swelling goes down, he can see the doctor himself. But uh, so I would say that maybe perhaps wait like five minutes, and if it isn't getting any better, and you don't think you're able to uh, move the patient, the, the person 
by yourself, then maybe you should uh, contemplate calling uh, calling for help. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 good advice, and of course, err on the side of caution. Anything with the neck or your back injury, it's um, it's it's it can be very serious. So, um, just err on the side of caution. Sometimes, if you if you think that you probably should be calling, uh, you probably should call. You know, don't don't because uh, then you also have the the project of driving yourself home. Typically, most of us aren't fortunate to have to show up in groups of people or or if you got to ride on a train to get home or or a bus or whatever you still have to get home somehow and and that could be a miserable experience yeah so, it can uh, be really hard <laughs> that, that's that's good advice uh just to try to uh gauge how serious it is and and uh and yeah it's, it's, it's good to hear that and and it's unfortunate when it happens but it's also helpful when we kind of have it in the back of our mind if this does happen to somebody or to me this is how we're going to proceed, and it makes it a little less stressful. All right, Daniel, that uh, doesn't at all wrap up the topic of medical issues and training, but it just really just uh, scratches the surface of the skin there. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do have a, uh, uh, another question for you. You are a medical student, and you're training jujitsu. Can you just kind of give me a little insight of how you're able to do uh, both of those at the same time and, and maybe juggle your schedule and get the most out of your training while you're, while you're also a very busy person? Uh, so, uh, to get a sense of it, I, I don't want people out there to think that I'm some hardcore competitor who trains <laughs> like eight times a week. So, uh, to put things in perspective, uh, I, I consider it a good week if I can squeeze in like maybe, uh, uh, like three training sessions. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so in general, uh, I just prioritize my, uh, my time and I, I'm the kind of person, I'm a bit hyperactive and I think, uh, if I had been diagnosed earlier, I have some form of like attention deficit disorder. So I find that I actually uh, can study better and, and I can do uh, focus a lot more uh, when I uh, do exercise. So actually, jujitsu helps me like uh, pay attention more. So I, I basically just have a very strict uh, time management uh, like scheme that helps me. Like I prioritize. I kind of fix. Uh, have a like a fixed training time so I, I always try to train on the weekends and maybe one time more during the week and I, I try to stick to that as as much as possible so at least I have a routine uh, and I'll, I kind of work my way around that if you're having a uh, a big day of studying a lot of reading and a lot of uh, just a lot of brain concentration does it help you to get out and exercise a little bit and then come back to it later on does that think that helps you absorb material yep it definitely helps me. So I, I've kind of, I, I've had, because I have to do a lot, uh, I have a lot of exams, and I realized that um, whenever I'm facing a dilemma about whether or not I should train in that situation, I, I realized that I should always just train because, like, um, I can always find, uh, like, maybe one hour in the day to, to uh, train and exercise. And if I don't train, I find that I end up procrastinating and end up wasting one hour in the day anyway. So I always just uh, try to train as much as possible, even if uh, uh, I have an exam coming up or any, like a big project coming up. All right. Uh, I agree, and, it, and it is, it's good to kind of break up your day, and I think exercise is a big uh, key to uh, brain health and, uh, and, and helping you learn and absorb things, uh, especially for students. Um, so, 
uh, where could somebody go to find your website and maybe get a hold of you if they want to or ask you a question or something like that? Uh, well, uh, you can visit my blog at Jujitsu Medic uh, at WordPress. Um, at the moment, I don't have any like Facebook page or any uh, social media. I probably should uh, start one soon. Uh, I, I think I'll start. I'll probably uh, create a more, uh, have a more, a greater social media presence when I uh, when I actually have more, a bit more content. Because <laughs> okay. uh, like right now, uh, I feel like this there isn't enough to to really put myself out there. So, um, but I think that will change. Uh, I'm, I'm really trying to, uh, stick to the commitment of, uh, writing like maybe, uh, like one post every uh, month or so. So, um, I'll, I'll keep, uh, I usually post on Reddit every time I, uh, make a, make a, uh, a new post. So, uh, I think if you, if you, uh, observe the Reddit page, you, you'll kind of, kind of tell when, uh, I, when I have a new post, but I'll definitely think of creating like a Facebook page soon. Okay, and and definitely just swing by and check out his website uh, occasionally, and that that would help you um, keep in contact with what he's doing. He's not writing a here's three tips to train if you're a medical student. I mean you, that might be an interesting article, but you, these articles that you're writing are very detailed. There's a lot of information out there. It's uh, it's it, they're very well written. So um, that's that's why I was I, I got to reach out and contact this guy and get him on the show and and talk about this. So I, I'm super happy that you were willing to do this today. And, uh, and and to share uh, some of your um, your medical uh, expertise and and of course we have to always say when you give you know talk about medical stuff consult the doctor you know you know we're not actually giving you specific advice for your situation we can't see you and that sort of thing but um, just a lot of great information on your website so I urge everybody to go check it out. Thanks for the plug. Yep, absolutely, and and that's I mean I'm I'm a fan of the website, and I'll be visiting it regularly to to keep up with you. And if I don't see it on Reddit, I'll just have to stop by the website occasionally and see it there. So uh, and, okay. and when you get a social media uh, presence, uh, I'll be I'll be following that as well. So <laughs> looking forward to that, Daniel. Any uh, closing thoughts before I let you go, but my friend? Nothing, nothing really. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much uh, for your time, and uh, and we'll keep in touch. Okay. I'd like to thank Peter Daniel uh, for coming on the show and, uh, you know, just giving us great information. I mean, like I said earlier, you know, cauliflower ears, skin infections, you know, those are stuff we're going to run into all the time. Uh, but, you know, it's like half the time when we when we learn something or when we listen, we're going to forget unless we use our Evernote and put it all down. Uh, but the cool thing is we put a link to his, uh, to his website, uh, jujitsumedic.wordpress.com. And basically he goes back through, uh, you know, cauliflower ear, you know, how to treat it, you know, why it happens. And, uh, you know, he's got skin infections in there. And the great thing is uh, he actually used Byron in this one too. Um, you know, so Byron volunteered. So basically when we get to the uh, – if you look at some of the pictures, <laughs> Byron – Byron did a volunteer for the jock picture. So, oh, Gary. Gary, thank you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, thanks, Byron. But so, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just great, the, <laughs> the information. <laughs> the information we have here. And, uh, you know, thanks to Byron, like you said, after using some of that information, his jock is much better. God. You know, uh, thank goodness that picture has a black bar over the uh, – the part that you wouldn't want to see anyway, 
Yeah. Uh, well, some people <laughs> want to. I mean, some people pay good money for websites like that. Oh, Gary. Okay. This, this is not that type of website or <laughs> podcast. Thank goodness. Uh, there's lots uh, of, uh, no, skin infections, cough out ear, you know, getting choked unconscious. These are things that we yeah. will see or, um, you know, they come up from time to time. And it's important to kind of have a, like a baseline understanding of what you're dealing with, you know? So if I don't really have cough out ear, I have a little bit of swelling in one of my ears. Uh, it's very light and, and you can't really notice it unless you squeeze it. Some people can call higher like the first two months of training. Yeah. And yep. so as a coach or as somebody who's been on the mat with a little more experience, I can say, hey, man, you probably want to get that drained and packed and uh, give him some advice. You know, I'm not going to do it myself, but, uh, you know, that that is nothing to be ignored for a long period of time. You need to have it taken care of if you don't want to have big ears the rest of your life. Yeah. So same thing with skin. Like, hey, man, that looks like it might be ringworm. Uh, try this. If it doesn't start working pretty quick, you need to go to a doctor. Or, you know, like just kind of giving that general a uh, little bit of a knowledge about what you're looking at. Just And you can get a lot of that from his website already. So Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, one thing that I thought was really helpful is is about a, a cauliflower ear, the hematoma in your ear. And, you know, I, I've actually had mine, you know, done by doctors before. And, uh, you know, one doctor told me, you know, you just have to get it drained or, you know, he ended up cutting it open. And But he told me I had eight days. And uh, basically here it tells you, you know, 48 hours, you know, so, and it's funny because the guy told me eight days and, you know, he ended up, uh, you know, using a scalpel and yeah. my ear open and my ear looks no different from what it did before, <laughs> you know, so I probably really only had two days, not 48 hours, like, yeah. uh, or probably only had two days, not eight days, like the other doctor was telling me. So what I really like about, uh, uh, you know, our guest there this week is he, he trains too. There's a big difference. Uh, somebody who trains, and is on the mat, you're going to understand it a little bit more than somebody who doesn't. And I'm not saying that a doctor who doesn't train doesn't know what he's talking about because they definitely do. But you have, uh, I don't know, you just have a little bit more familiarity, however you say that word, when you have been on the mat and you've experienced these yourself or your teammates have. So, um, you know, that's why it's so great that, uh, you know, Peter Daniel did come on the show and, you know, he trains. He's not only a, you know, a medical student, but he does train. And um, so uh, I, I, I'm going to, I love his website here and I'm going to uh, keep this to my favorites, you know, in case something happens in the future. Yep, uh, it, it's just so well written, and he, you can tell he does his research and everything. So, uh, yeah, keep it in mind if you, as a reference or just yeah. as general knowledge thing that you want to go look at, I recommend it. Yeah. Check out the like, link in the show notes. Like you said, it's so well written. You know who he is, and then on top of that, he actually even lets Byron pose for one of the pictures. So, I mean, yeah. I got to support it. I, you know what the. It is time, Gary. I'm putting my foot down on this. It is time for Gary's audio book of the week. <laughs> so you're, you're hitting me. One chance to get you back. You're hitting me below the belt plenty of times, my friend. Well, and uh, hit you below the belt because I don't want to catch you. <laughs> uh, your audio book. Okay, if you're new to the show, this is a time where I'll throw out an audiobook title for Gary and have to make up a quick topic and, and uh, subject about it and just give us a little uh, selling points about the book here. Uh, so, Gary, this week, your book was going to be called, you know, Working the Graveyard Shift, uh, you know, dealing with uh, goblins and things like that, but uh, not anymore, my friend. <laughs> your audiobook this week is called Tapping Out Jock Itch. How My Lifelong Battle with Jock Itch has played out. 
And I'm just curious, you know, like this seems like a very personal thing, Gary. That uh, that I guess that now, you know, because I'm in the pictures and Gary's writing a book about it, we both have a lot of experience with this. <laughs> so, uh, you know, maybe take us. Can you think of uh, a time when you maybe couldn't train because of this, or what, you know, how how has this affected your your time on the mats, Gary? Well, you know, it it started, you know, the first time I rolled with you, you know. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you have it really bad. And, uh, you know, we got in, I think it was the 50-50 position. <laughs> and, oh, you're uh, killing you know, me. I, you, know, it, um, you know, it burns. So uh, it's not fun. And, you know, it can't keep you off the mat. And um, so, I mean, it, it's I've tried just about everything. And, and that's what we talk about. You know, I've taken cans of bleach and, you know, just poured it there. And, uh, boy, that didn't work out good. I mean, so the good thing is this book is going to tell you about my trials and tribulations, stuff not to do. You know, like the bad thing is, you know, I've tried bleach. You know, I've in the it itches. You know, and next thing I know, I, I touch it. And next thing I know, I touch my forehead. And uh, so then I got jock itch on my head. And, you know, it's... It's it's not good. It's not good at all. I mean, you can see, you know, just take a look at that picture of Byron and the, uh, the thing, and it's not good at all. So, um, you know, I've went through trials and tribulations to get rid of it, but you know what I found really works best is uh, just go on down to your local drugstore and uh, buy. Uh, uh, the crazy thing is, they have athlete's foot spray and they have jockey spray. And it's like the same thing, except jockage spray costs like three times as much. Yeah. I guess because not as many people get jockage. So get yourself some athlete's foot spray. You know, spray it, keep it dry, and, um, you know, change your, like, we always talk about, don't forget to shower. Shower. Shower ASAP. Uh, you know, and uh, keep so it dry, you, change your clothes. You're telling me to spray it and then shower right away? Well, actually, I would, I would. After I shower, oh, okay. The spray season. Yeah, we don't want to. Wa- we don't want to wash the uh, the stuff off there. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, put powder on there. You know, just use a uh, gold bond or or regular powder. Actually, this is actually a true. Uh, <laughs> Here we this go. isn't. Yeah, this actually isn't a joke. Audiobook for once. <laughs> um, but I really did catch it from Byron. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess uh, this <sighs> is actually. a... A real audiobook. Most of the time, I'm making stuff up and trying to make it funny. I, I just hope there's, uh, you know, unfortunately, I did uh, go back to the website here and I uh, scrolled down to the picture because it has a little bit of advice of dealing with it and what to look for. And I've been this picture's been over my computer screen too long. <laughs> but uh, that the the black bar that's covering some of the areas it probably could be a little bit bigger. I would say <laughs> if. So uh, maybe don't even uh, check that one out. Uh, <laughs> you have kicked my butt thoroughly in this one. Uh, well, I don't know about your butt, more like your job. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, at least if you have this, you could feel like you're an athlete, you know, because you're an athletic person, you're a jock, and yeah. welcome to the world So of being a jock. So that's one yeah, benefit so. of getting jock hitch. You're a jock, yep. But definitely chicks do not like it. So, um, Oh, one more thing don't about go around that. Telling me. If when you're at the store buying that spray, uh, probably not the best thing to buy and try to try to flirt with the person behind the counter. Uh, just it from my experience, you know, like less than like ten percent of the time will they actually like flirt back out even a little bit when you're buying that sort of thing. So it's just not the right time. You know, go in there and buy something a little bit more normal, and uh, that 
that actually could help you out a little bit there. But uh, what I always do is like I'll buy a bunch of food and just try to sneak that through real quick. So um, you know that'll work too. There you go. Or like you know one time I was buying you know like a you know back when I was single I you know buy like a TV uh, microwave dinner and you know a, a box of cereal or whatever. And this real pretty girl behind the counter was like, "Hey, you're single, aren't you?" And I kind of smiled and looked at her and I was like, "Yeah, could you tell that because." Uh, what I'm buying? She goes, "No, you're ugly." <laughs> so, uh, kind of hurt there, Gary. But uh, you know, yeah. she was funny, and uh, yeah. she you want to know the crazy thing is, Byron told me that like uh, two years later, she decided to try a jujitsu class, and uh, Byron choked her unconscious. So he got her back. <laughs> oh, Gary, making me seem like a mean guy. I'm just an ugly uh, guy. Yeah, just an ugly yeah. guy. Well, yeah. <laughs> With jock itch. With jo- an itchy, ugly guy, which generally doesn't help your looks anyway. You ever but thought about using that picture as your Facebook God. <laughs> You know, like I was saying, they would probably uh, send me in for that one because I know that you could report people who are inappropriate pictures. That black box is not big enough to cover everything. I think I'm going to change that to my profile picture okay. today. Well, Gary, uh, hopefully your Facebook ban doesn't last too long. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you back when you get back on the Facebook, my friend. Well, cool. I can't go wrong with that. Hey, speaking of uh, Facebook ban, um, if I'm banned from Facebook, definitely check us out on social media. We're on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> We're on Twitter, um, you know, on Reddit. So uh, check us out. Um, you know, tell your friends about it, too. All right. We uh, appreciate all the support from Patreon supporters. If you're interested in helping this show out and helping us be able to grow and do a few more things that we are hoping to do, uh, check us out. Uh, there's a link about Patreon in the show notes, and uh, we appreciate all the support we have there. Also, we hope to bring back Matt Tail sometime uh, pretty soon. So if you have a crazy story that happened to you that's jujitsu-related, type it up, send it our way. Also, type up your submissions for Coach of the Year. Uh, next week, Gary, great news. What do we got? David Kirchmer, the grappling referee. This guy's refereed, like, I think it's around 3,000 matches, and he's got Man. some very high-profile uh, matches and, in you know, white belt matches as well. He got the whole whole mix of all, anything you could imagine. Gi, no gi. He's, gra- he's refereed tons, and uh, he's going to be talking to us about being a referee, you know, things that they do, and check out his website as well, thegrapplingreferee.com. And uh, it's, he's got some cool videos on there, but we'll be having him on next week and, and a couple of, uh, you know, a little bit of controversial topics towards the end there that, we, that we're going to cover, too. So uh, look forward to bringing you to him next week. Awesome. So stay tuned, my friends. And uh, if you're feeling... Oh, wait, not stay tuned. Stay tuned. Don't forget to listen to us next week is what I meant to say. Yeah, if you, or the alternative would be to hit the, put this on replay and just listen to this until the next week shows up. And uh, then you could just, you know, remain tuned. But that would be a terrible week. That would be a terrible week. Well, thanks for joining us for another week of the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower. Make sure you dry off very well. And then spray yourself with jacket spray. Or throw some powder down there when you're done. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu.